is a liar or not, you can ask him this question. You can say, hey, are there ever any passages that you don't want to preach? And if they say no, they are a liar, okay? Um, or they don't preach hard passages, okay? That's what I'm going to say. Don't at me. That's what I believe about it, okay? So, like, this passage that I'm going to preach today is one. This is my pastoral confession right here. Um, I would love to skip this one, frankly. I would love to skip it. And I was tempted to, ooh, tempted to skip it, right? You know, you're going through a book of the Bible. You're thinking, yeah, we're going to do every text in this book. And then you come up to this one. You're like, nope, don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. But then you kind of have to because you said you would. So that's where I'm at this morning. I don't know where you're at. Um, so I'm going to preach a hard text today. And I'm going to invite you to open your mind and open your heart and to ask the Holy Spirit to speak something to you. There's a lot in here. There's a lot to go through and we've got to get to it. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm not even going to tell you what it's about yet. So just as you bow your heads and close your eyes, take a breath. Big breath. Breathe through your belly. Be here. And I invite you to pray this prayer in whatever words make sense to you. God, will you just speak to me in some way? Will you communicate something to me today? text, somehow we'd see your love for us and the love that we're meant to have for each other. God, give me courage, give me wisdom, help me to say what I need to say and not say the things I shouldn't. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so now that we're all thoroughly worried, let's jump in to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to pick it up here. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, what were these things? These things were about how we confront each other. It was about confronting and forgiveness. In the last text, the last chapter, Jesus told us that if we have something against each other, we should actually talk to each other about it and try to work it out. And he gave us a process for how to do that. Then he told a story about forgiveness that we should like have infinity forgiveness for each other. So this is on the heels of teaching about an infinity amount of forgiveness. That's important. He left Galilee and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Jesus has been healing people all along. We've been, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But only I only want to point out that he healed them there. In the original language, the word where we get therapy comes into this text. So if we were to read this literally, we could read something like, and he therapied them there, which is a really profound kind of connection for us. That Jesus did therapy, did healing for people, and he's going to do some healing for us right now. This next teaching is healing, but it's healing in the way that surgery is healing. I want to be really clear on that. So let's see what he has to say to us now. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Uh-oh, uh-oh is right. Like, you should read this, and you should be like, oh, no, they're coming at him with the wrong kind of frame of mind, with the wrong heart, with the wrong vibe. Yes, definitely. 
They come to him. Notice that the Pharisees come to him. They don't come to him looking for understanding. They don't come to him looking for wisdom. They don't come to him looking for teaching. What do they come to him for? To test him. To test him. And I want to ask you before we go any further, how do you come to the scriptures? How do you approach the scriptures together? How do you approach God together? Do we come to God to test him? To trick, to try to force, to manipulate? How do we come to this text? Because it's going to be super important. If we come to this text looking to test God, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And we're not going to make, we're not going to make it. We're not going to get it. But this is how they come to him. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, I miss this. <laughs> I miss this. Because in my head, as I was getting ready to jump into this text, I knew it was coming. And I thought that what they said was, in my mind, in my memory, it said, like, they came to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is what I thought they asked him. But look at what they asked him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Is it lawful? That means, is it right? For these folks, it means, is it biblical? For any and every reason? What? I mean, it's a ludicrous question, right? It's phrased in a, in a ridiculous way. That's only to elicit one answer, right? Is it lawful, is it right to divorce for any and every reason? They want Jesus to say, of course not. They want him to say, no. That's how they phrase their question, because it's a ridiculous question. Why they want him to say no is for a very particular reason that I want to talk to you about. There is this passage in Deuteronomy 24 that they were looking to throw back at him. It's a passage from the law. And they wanted to use it as a justification for any kind of divorce. There was an argument raging among rabbis and Bible teachers at this time. One school of thought said this, that the only acceptable grounds for divorce was adultery. That was one school of thought, one camp. The other taught that if your wife burned your food, or if you found someone more attractive, you could divorce your wife, literally. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel some rage kicking up. And if, if that's your response, good, <laughs> good. Like if your response to that is that, what are you, I mean, I even saw some people sit back in their chair for a second. Like, yeah, yeah, you should be mad. You should be almost enraged over that kind of thinking. If this doesn't kick up rage for you, it should. Now, I teach the scriptures as an inherently progressive document where God works within cultural context while blowing them up and pushing people towards more love, more grace, more connection, more freedom. And I hope that gets me a witness in this room. Like, I hope that we're on the same page, that that's what the Bible does. And that's how we come to it. You may not see it that way, and that's fine. But given Deuteronomy 24 and what happens here, how do you not wrestle with the text as a progressive document? I want to give it to you. And this is hard, but hang with it, okay? Hang with it here. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says this, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. Now, when I just told you that the rabbis were arguing about this, they were. Something indecent about her, for some folks, did extend to her cooking. Awful. Awful. Awful, awful reading of this text, right? 
And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, and she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, this is an awful story, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, you know, like he does, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled? That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, I don't want to share with you that text. <laughs> I don't want to. But if I don't, I'm not giving you the context of the argument that they're having at the time and place. You understand? What is going on here? What is going on in Deuteronomy chapter 24? How do you reconcile this? How do, you, how, do you, how do you understand this? Okay, so now, with that as in mind, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? This is what Jesus says. Jesus responds, not with Deuteronomy chapter 24. Look at how he responds. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Maybe some of these words were said at your wedding. Maybe those of you who are married, maybe you remember this. You can knock off the rust a little bit, right? Jesus, in responding to a question about divorce, where they want him to talk about Deuteronomy chapter 24, talks about Genesis 1. Okay? says, you're thinking about this, we're going back to this. And in what he shares, it might not be shocking to us, but I want you to try to put yourself in the mindset of really powerful religious men in Jesus's time. Good luck. But put yourself in that mindset and with their heart of wanting to test Jesus. There are shelves of books written on what Jesus teaches here, by the way. But the big picture is that Jesus has an enormously high view of marriage and is incredibly concerned about people committing adultery, breaking the relationship of marriage. He says, haven't you read? Have they read? Test question. Yes, they have read. They have reread. They have memorized. They have analyzed. They have dissected. They are the authorities on the scriptures. He's needling them. Haven't you read? The creator made us with sexuality, made us to connect, made them male and female. And this is easy to miss, but these are religious men asking a man a question. Who historically is the oppressed, injured party in a divorce? Women. Women are. In fact, if you rewind back to Deuteronomy 24 and what the law is being given there and what it is actually doing, you know, we read that and in our modern times, we're like, how in the world is that okay? And it's not. But women could be ruined without cause in a divorce by a man who held all the power. Jesus going back to women being made in the image of God is a not subtle way of recognizing their dignity and worth and value. Do you hear me? In a conversation where men were looking for any reason to divorce and marginalize women they did not find acceptable. Jesus rewinds it back to the beginning and says, you are made in the image of male and female. He created them. 
They are no longer two, they are one. This is a physical, spiritual, emotional bond, a metaphysical connection. Remember the context here. Remember about men asking a man how much they could have control over women. They are not one, not in the sense that their independence dissolves, not in the sense that they lose who they are, but they become a third thing. In context, Jesus is communicating clearly that men have no power over women in marriage. Did you hear me? In context, going back to Genesis, he is saying clearly that they are equals and that they are one. He is teaching that God brought these two together to work together, to love each other, to be in communion and in concert with each other. Jesus is as much restoring agency to women as he is preaching oneness. They leave their families, men more so than women, but there is a new way, a new family, a break with the old order for something new and life-giving to both of you in a marriage. Please note that Jesus doesn't say, it will feel like they are one. Please note that Jesus doesn't say, it will be and they lived happily ever after. But they are one and they can be whole. And this is the dream of God. They need each other to be the one God made them to be within the context of the marriage. For Jesus... When you are thinking about the end of a marriage, you need to go back to the beginning. Back to the one who made us. Back to our good parent who made us for each other. Back to the meaning that we were meant to be a reflection of God together. Remember? Can you remember? Jesus says what God has joined together, what God has yoked together. Do you remember this metaphor of the yoke? We talked about it when Jesus talked about his yoke. In a yoke, who's in control? Neither. Neither animal is in control. The one holding the reins is in control in the yoke. Like the man is not more important than the woman. Women are not more important. It's, they're equals in the yoke together. What God has yoked together, Jesus says, let no one separate. Whatever you are as an individual, if you are married, you are meant for the other person to be together. To challenge and encourage and love and be intimate with and share with and bond with and serve together. If you feel like you made a mistake, God didn't make a mistake when he was drawing up the plans. And there is no place you can go where he won't find you. That place may be in a difficult, painful relationship that is incredibly hard to change. That place may be marital bliss. That place may be after a divorce. But if you are hearing this and you are married, there is a deep, difficult, hopeful message that you were made for your spouse and that your spouse is made for you. There is hope in this. There is deep challenge in this. Jesus was asked about divorce. He says one plus one equals a whole. And you can't divide the one without getting fractions or splinters or shards. He is saying stop tearing apart the oneness for selfish and promiscuous, and in this context, misogynistic reasons. Look at what God says in Malachi. And this is an old text. This is one they forgot. Try to put yourself here. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children, godly fruits from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. And to ratify it, he says, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. 
there really aren't passages like this towards women in the Old Testament. I wonder why. I wonder why. Like, I wonder why Jesus is speaking so vividly to the men who are asking him this question. I wonder. This is the heart of what Jesus is saying. Then, and in keeping with our just unblemished record for completely missing the point, this is how the religious respond to what Jesus is saying here. Remember, Jesus talks about in the beginning, they created a male and female, both in the image of God. They are yoked together. They are equals. They are together and one. This is their response. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Really? I mean, do you, can you put yourself in the story? And Jesus just said this beautiful, meaningful thing about love and about connection, about togetherness. And then they suggest that, I mean, they suggest a couple things. They play their hand, they spring their trap. They refer to that Deuteronomy passage like they were always gonna do. They're gonna expose Jesus, expose him for being unbiblical. They have forgotten the scriptures are alive and standing in front of them. There are reasons for the permission given by Moses in the law for divorce, but they miss the point. Because none of the reasons given for divorce in the Old Testament were for the husband's convenience. Permission was given to avoid murder in the context of a marriage. It was given to avoid promiscuity on the part of the husband. It was given to protect the reputation of the woman. It was given to minimize a hasty divorce with no process. Even that passage, even that Deuteronomy passage that I shared with you, this was in a, wor- in a world where women had no protection, right? Right? Where they were property, okay? Where you could just dispose of women. That was the cultural context around the people of God when God says, no, you don't dispose of women. You don't dispose of a wife because you find her cooking indecent. You have to actually have a process and a certificate, yes, and you have to actually care for her and give her a chance at a life beyond that. Is that great? No. It's not great, by the way. You may hear that and you'd be like, well, that's still massage. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yep, it is. And for those of my friends who don't see the Bible's progressive, <laughs> what is Jesus saying now about this? They say also that Moses commanded us. Do you see how much they need and want this flexibility to get out of marriage? Do you see it? I mean, here's a test question. Did Moses command them to divorce their spouses? Absolutely not, he did not. That is a lie welded into their question. And Jesus will expose it right now. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you. He gave you permission to divorce your wives Because your hearts were hard. 
But it was not this way from the beginning. Not commanded you. Divorce isn't a command. In fact, husbands don't ever have to divorce their wives in the scriptures. Do you hear me? They never have to. Ever. They never have to. And yes, neither do wives. But they never have to. He permitted you. Again, in a world where women were possessions, were cattle, he put them on more of a level playing field. Not a level playing field, but your hearts were hard and closed. He worked within this culture while challenging this culture. It was not this way from the beginning, Jesus says. Do you want to appeal to the old ways? I will appeal to the first way, to the best way, to the way in which you were created. The way in which you were made to be. Because your hearts were hard and cruel and harsh and stubborn and insensitive. Hard hearts, why? Why why were their hearts hard? Because they couldn't deal with something they found indecent in their wives? Please notice Jesus doesn't say the wives' hearts were hard. Moses did create room for for divorce in the scriptures. And there is this duality. And it is because of sin and brokenness and hard hearts and stubbornness that divorce will happen. But Jesus is also going to tell us not to. It's as if God knows who he is dealing with and what he is dealing with. Jesus is thinking, you know, you want a rule? You want a statute? You want me to weigh in? How about this? I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You may think, oh, big deal, Jesus, yeah, that makes sense. But, but again, remember the argument they were having? The argument they were having was, we can divorce our wives for any, any reason. Any reason. He says, oh, you want me to weigh in here? Notice he doesn't command it. But he says, if you divorce, except for sexual immorality, remarry another woman, you commit adultery. How about this? Unless she is unfaithful to you, you don't ever divorce her. And even then you don't have to. Can you imagine how this landed with men who thought they could divorce their wives for burning the toast? Sit with that for a second. Just sit with it. Jesus rejects their understanding and pushes them to a new place. By the way, there are probably a ton of people in the room, not in the room, they're outside, but listening to this, maybe even people who ask them the question, who are indicted by this statement. I would venture to guess that because of the way they talked to Jesus, that some of the people who were talking to him had divorced their spouses and were looking for cover. And Jesus gives them none, no cover. Notice that Jesus doesn't mention women here. Obviously, this applies to wives as well. But again, it should get our attention and communicate something profound about the cultural context here, as well as the misogyny that's baked into this conversation that men were divorcing their wives for convenience, for something better. That's in quotes on the podcast. Breaking apart the oneness that they were made for. Women can and are doing this too. But Jesus is radically addressing the men, the religious, serious men who thought they had an out in their marriage. I want to say something. Please note, not even adultery has to destroy marriage. It doesn't have to. It does not 
have to. And actually in Mark and Luke, this line about except for sexual immorality, Mark and Luke didn't put that in there. It does not have to. Repentance and forgiveness are stronger than anything that can divide people. I've seen this. I've seen, it per- I've seen couples wade through dark waters and come through on the other side. Jesus never commands it and actually radically redefines the understanding for the religious. There is an allowance for divorce in the scriptures, but it can and it should be avoided at great cost. And I want to say this, that cost should not be physical safety, should not be unrepentant infidelity. And no one who is divorced, no one who is divorced in this room or in the hearing of my voice is less than. No one who is divorced should be made to feel like we know and can be the judges of what happened in your marriage. Jesus makes remarriage for people who divorce really, really difficult. And so does Paul. Because they really, really, really believe that marriage is an important place where two people become one and discover the people they were meant to be, even when marriage is difficult and painful. Now, I've asked you a couple times to project yourself into a middle-aged Jewish man in the first century. I'm going to ask you one more time. Can you do that? It's a Paul word, a little bit, and really tall for some of us. So, like, I want you to think about what Jesus has said, and, like, our modern reaction to what he said might be like, Duh, right? Maybe. Like, this seems reasonable. This doesn't seem maybe that hard. Listen to that obey here. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between husband and wife, it's better not to marry. What? What does it mean that they're saying that? Do do you know what it means? It means that the disciples, this is not even the religious people. This is not even like the serious people. It means that the disciples, as they thought about marriage, they were like, well, you know, if I want to get out, I can get out. Yeah, if she's not who I thought she was, I'm just going to get someone else. Like, if, if, it's, if, if it becomes inconvenient or difficult, like, that's, that has to be their attitude, right? Because the bar that Jesus is setting is not incredibly high in this. But their response to it in their hearts, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus is saying that marriage is beautiful and gut-wrenching and lifelong. That there will be times when you want to leave. Don't leave. There will be moments when you will have the option to leave. Think deeply and love in a radical, self-sacrificial way. Because you together are one and in marriage is the work you were meant to do. If the situation is so hard, if the road is so fraught with danger, notice that this is not a question that they ask. (laughs) They don't ask Jesus, is it better not to marry? This is a statement that they make. And Jesus doesn't argue with them. Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. That's an interesting answer, Jesus, to what they say. He doesn't really argue with what they say about it being really difficult to be married. And maybe, it's, maybe we should think twice or three times or four or more before we get married. 
Not everyone can accept this one, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs. Why'd you have to go there, Jesus? Like, why, I mean, why you gotta bring eunuchs into this? You know? He wants to get your attention. Because when you think of eunuchs, you think of people who cannot have intimacy, sexual relations with someone. But Jesus is also using it as a metaphor. Watch what he says. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. He means literally. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And I never got this before. Never got it. But I was thinking too literally when I was coming up about this text. That eunuchs were made eunuchs by others. Jesus is talking about literally. So let your mind wander not too far. But literally. But also people who are made eunuchs by life. By their experience. Maybe by their experience with people romantically. That they just realize, I, I can't. I don't, I, I'm not going to do that. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs. In case you didn't catch the metaphor. <laughs> he makes it literal, you know. And those who live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who, accept, who can't accept this should accept it. This is not a popular text in Christendom. It is not popular. You have not heard a lot of sermon. I would bet lots of money. I'm not a betting man. But like that you have not heard lots of messages on this. But what is Jesus saying? Jesus recognizes that not everyone will be able to accept what he's saying. Jesus does not command you to be a eunuch. Neither does Paul, by the way, later. Jesus doesn't demean marriage by commanding singleness and doesn't demean being single by commanding marriage. Do you hear me? The way is narrow. The road is long and difficult, and we need to love each other along it. But Jesus clearly identifies a gift of not being married. This is not something to feel sorry for. This is not something to regret. But it is a gift with the implication that it is ultimately better than being married. Hear what I say. Jesus does not argue with them about it being better not to marry. And he says, if you can accept this, accept it. He wants you to think twice before getting married and many more times before getting divorced. But there is a clear sense here that devotion to a relationship with God comes not with not being inside a marriage is a different and wonderful gift. Jesus deeply rubbed against his religious tradition here. Jesus deeply rubs against the church that made Christian tradition here. Because a lot of us grew up with an assumption that we would get married. And Jesus doesn't have that assumption. And parents, we should not be teaching our kids that assumption. We should not be growing them up, indoctrinating them with something that Jesus doesn't teach. You want to hear a, a tough message? Tell parents to encourage their kids to be celibate. <laughs> or to encourage it as an option. This celibacy comes three ways. From birth, through a trauma from others, through a decision made by a person. But if you're hearing this message and you are not married, if you're married, it's too late. <laughs> Sorry. It's too late. You know, but if you're hearing this message and you are not married, can you hear what Jesus says here? Can you hear the invitation? You have a lot to think about, a lot to wrestle with as you think about your life. 
and what it's going to be like. All right, so we're done with the text. (laughs) And I want to say something very clearly. We don't make huge, clear pronouncements about who's in and who's out at Hope Springs. Hopefully I can get a witness on that. We also don't make really crystal clear lines on issues in the scripture where there is ambiguity and where there is permissions given. I want to repeat that. I won't. I'll just trust that you all were listening. Like, I'm, I'm not, we're not going to do that here. Divorce is one of those issues. It is always painful. It, is al- it always hurts. But we will not add to the hurt by making people feel less than or judged. And if you felt that by this message, please talk to me. We will teach the scriptures and we'll trust the Holy Spirit and we'll let you know that you're always loved because I'm always loved and I'm a bigger sinner than anyone in here. If you have sinned in any of this, there is healing, there is forgiveness, and there is a way to be the person you were created to be. That means if you are single, that means if you are married, that means if you are divorced, that means if you are remarried, there is always love in the family of God. There's always a place at the table for you. Way too often, this text has been used to isolate and condemn people. We don't do that here. Please hear me. You may be unmarried, and I want you to hear this. You are no less of a human. And in fact, the scriptures teach a beautiful and profound way of living without marriage that both Jesus and Paul will say is better in some meaningful and real way. I don't know if the church really believes this, by the way. You know, as evidenced by all of us in this room. But like, Jesus wasn't married. And I'd say he did a pretty good job of like being human, right? Like maybe the best job? Definitely the best job? That was a joke. Definitely the best job. (laughs) But think deeply about, about this, friends. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. There is life and protection and love and wholeness in the wake of divorce. So... As we come to our reflection time, this was a tough one. And it might have some interesting things that challenge you as you think about marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness. So let's work through it together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to give you some touch points, some places where you might connect with this passage. These are in no particular order, mind you. But I want to talk to the single people first, because a lot of times we don't. If you're not married, can you hear what Jesus says here? He says not everyone can. And if you can't, you can. And you can be honest about that. But can you? Just take a minute. Has this text challenged you in how you see people who are divorced, remarried? Maybe that's a touch point for you. Maybe there's people you cut out of your life, people you've judged or condemned in some way related to this stuff. Maybe you need to take take a lap there in your heart. Look for and find that forgiveness for how you've seen and treated people.
And just keep praying. I'm going to talk to the married people now. If you're married, are you, are you yoked together? Side by side? Moving together? Working together? Is there a hierarchy in your marriage? Is someone less than? Is someone lower? Jesus blows that whole thing up. So maybe you need to think and pray along those lines. You may be married, but are you one? That's another question for the married folks. Are you one? Is there anything that you're doing physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually to separate? Are you one? These are hard teachings. Have ears to hear what God is saying to you in this text. Just take a moment. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for how it challenges us and teaches us. Father, thank you for the ways that my friends have been challenged and I've been challenged by this text. I pray that it would provoke more questions in a lot of ways, that it would provoke us into, you know, if we're married, really reevaluating the oneness that exists in our marriage. That yes, we're independent people and we come from different backgrounds and we have value and worth and dignity as individuals, but what does it mean for us to be one? What does it mean for there to be a unity and a love and a connection that is growing and meaningful and vibrant? Challenge us as husbands and wives in this room Father, for the folks in this room that are divorced, I pray that you would speak love and kindness to their souls by your spirit. God, that in you we'd find rest, healing, and hope. God, give us wisdom as the single people in the room and in my hearing, in the hearing of my voice, that, that if there's anyone listening to this that's not married, that maybe is called some radical journey with you that does not include marriage, some adventure, God, that they would be really inspired, that they would be able to hear your son Jesus and be willing to have the courage to go with you on that journey. God, and I also pray that if there's anyone that we know, our friends, our children, people who are not married, God, give us the ability to back off of pressuring them in some way that we think they should go. 
Help us to support each other, to love each other in the journey that we're going through. God, it's in Jesus' name, it's for his great kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today. As I said, if you're giving an offering, there's a box in the back. We love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.